The Art of Engineering. Engineers talking about their process, principles, and personal stories. Presented by Custom Powder Systems, the containment company. On today's show. Unfortunately, I went to work for a guy that was kind of a chauvinist. And I went and said, well, he might say I wasn't doing my job, but here's $300,000 worth of work I sold. And they changed their mind and decided that they thought that they should keep me. Now from the Custom Powder Systems headquarters, your host, Denise McIntosh. So welcome, Kim Duncan, who is the founder and president and owner of Duncan Enterprises, has joined me today on this Art of Engineering podcast, talking to women in engineering and women in manufacturing about how we got here and the fun we've had along the way. And Kim, you and I have worked together on some projects in the past, um, and given that we're in this time of the COVID virus and we're working remotely and we can't travel and you just happened to mention that you had done a birthday party remotely, and I'd love to hear about it. Well, you might want to segue it into uh, who my, were my influencers, because my mother, being a physician that graduated in 1953 uh, with my father, also a doctor, both parents uh, in the medical field were some of my influencers giving me the impression that I could do whatever I wanted to do and definitely discouraged me from medicine. So my mother moved to California about eight years ago and she was turning 91 and she lives a block and a half away from me. We can't, we had a nice 90th birthday party last year with a lot of my friends that were able to join and her best friend from Jacksonville, Florida flew out, but this year that was not possible. So I made a dinner, took it up to her retirement center at six o'clock, and then we had our my first Zoom meeting, and my mother has actually been having some Zoom meetings, ironically, more so than myself. Um, I've always used Skype and WebEx, so I'm new to Zoom. Um, and my two brothers, one from Milwaukee and one from um, Ottawa, Canada, joined and sat and chatted with us while we enjoyed our birthday dinner and blew out the candle and the cake. And my mother said she felt better this year than she did her 90th birthday. So that was a good sign. She's still kicking and enjoying life and loved her hour and a half Zoom party. <laughs> Great. We, we can get very inventive in these times. So speaking of early influencers, talk some more about how you went from parents in the medical field to engineering? Well, the uh, short version is uh, both parents were pretty busy. So I went away to boarding school at a very young age at 12. And at, uh, after a few little uh, hiccups and incidents and I was a little bit of a rebel at uh, 15, got kicked out of a few of those. Um, I wound up my last school that I graduated from was a high school abroad on a sailing ship. And I had enough credits to graduate as a junior with a college preparatory um, degree in high school. But they offered a pre-engineering discipline. Um, it was actually a diploma from high school 
where you worked in the engine room, you worked on the generators, you worked um, on the um, engines that ran the uh, sailboat when you were not when you were under power versus under sail. And I was the only student uh, in the 12 years that this uh, sailing tall ship school was in existence that ever completed and got that pre-engineering diploma. And I will say that I was a little smitten with one of the guys that did a lot of work in the engine room. He was a staff member and we would have a little makeout sessions occasionally down there. So I kind of wanted to show him that I was pretty smart. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And then I got out of, uh, I got out of high school and decided I wasn't sure after six years of boarding school that I really wanted to jump right into engineering. Actually, my grandfather had a lumber company. I thought about joining that. Decided against it because he was retiring and on his way out. Um, took a couple years to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. I lifeguarded. I waitressed. I did a number of different odd jobs. And finally, I worked in a factory. And I looked at the women. I was making, you know, good wage back in 77 or something, you know, 6 or $7 an hour. And then I looked at the women that were 55, and they were making the same amount I was. And I thought, that doesn't look like much of a long-term career. So I uh, decided I would go back to engineering school. And then I went, moved from Illinois to Arizona and graduated in three years with a mechanical engineering degree. So in all the years I've known you, I've never heard the story about the engineering on the ship. <laughs> I have so many tales that, you know, you, we'd have to have a sister's week for you to get a few more. <laughs> so tell me about your experiences in engineering school. Because I, I can only imagine there were not many women. I was the only woman in my graduating class. I started in 78 and I graduated in three and a half years, uh, mid-year in December of 81. So there was 50 graduating mechanical engineers. I was the only woman. I did have a few girlfriends that I had classes with and uh, knew during the time I was going to school. Maybe a handful, four or five. Uh, they all took five years. And I got out in three, so I got out before they did. I'm still good friends with one of them that went into the aerospace industry and has kind of built bombs most of her career and always hated her career path because she felt uh, she was in the defense industry and didn't like it. So I'm happy that I didn't choose that path. So how did you choose the path that you're on? Well, Okay. It kind of chose me when I was graduating from uh, my first, uh, and I got my first job. I decided that my personality probably wasn't going to be well suited to sitting behind a desk and uh, drafting and doing engineering and being like locked in a cage. <laughs> so I thought, wow, I think I'd probably be pretty good at sales engineering. So I looked at sales engineering opportunities um, out of college. And my first job was with General Electric, a big, huge conglomerate. They had a program called the Technical Marketing Program. Unfortunately, I went to work for a guy that was kind of a chauvinist. And the last girl that worked for him had a marketing degree, not an engineering degree. And she kind of um, played to his favor and got his coffee and did all kinds of stuff. And so when I got there, he thought I was going to do the same thing. And I didn't think that I was supposed to get his coffee as an engineering protege. So I worked hard and sold a lot of projects and 
After six months, he gave me a bad review. They flew me to Bridgeport, Connecticut to tell me they were going to lay me off after six months, and it was rather rare. I took a list of the projects I'd sold in the past six months because I was working under another engineer, but they had all my estimates and information on it. And I went and said, well, he might say I wasn't doing my job, but here's $300,000 worth of work I sold. And they changed their mind and decided that they thought that they should keep me. Well, I had already started looking around and had a better offer from Honeywell with a uh, company car. And I got to stay in Phoenix. If I'd gone, stayed with GE, I would have moved to Denver to a different division. They offered me to move to the turbine division, but I'd already been proactive and found um, another opportunity. But at least I didn't leave there being laid off. They wanted to keep me, even though I had a chauvinistic boss. So then I kind of went from the pan to the fire, the frying pan to the fire, because next guy, well, I replaced a black 40-year-old um, engineer, sales engineer at Honeywell that had died of a heart attack, and he was kind of a token. So guess what I was? <laughs> I was another token. I was working for a Mormon. So the only good news was is I had a mentor a guy named Doug Miller, who had been there 100 years. Everybody in all of Phoenix knew Doug Miller. He took me under his wing and taught me all about building automation and temperature controls. And I stayed there for two years until he was ready for retirement. Of course, he retired. and I didn't get any of the accounts because uh, the Mormon boss didn't think that I needed to, you know, that he needed to give a female anything. Really, I was just there for the numbers. Um, I had decided that Phoenix was way too hot and wanted to move to San Diego. So then I had been looking for jobs in San Diego and I had landed a job as a mechanical contractor uh, working in estimating in a lot of different fields with a company called University Mechanical. So I gave my notice at Honeywell once about the same time Doug Miller did. We left concurrently and I kept in touch with him. We were very good friends and he did teach me a lot. So then I moved to uh, San Diego and started with a mechanical contractor. Well, as another situation where there's another chauvinistic bunch of guys that didn't really think women needed to be there. I stayed two years, uh, kind of like got getting pigeonholed from engineering to estimating, kind of seeing, I mean, I did some project management. I did a little bit of everything. It was a good experience. But I still saw that the guy that was running the department wasn't crazy about women. And uh, I had a friend who was a president, but he was so high up that he couldn't really shelter me. I wasn't working for him. So I looked around and I found a job as Western Regional Sales Manager, which utilized my controls background. I was working remotely and um, I gave my notice. That I was there for two years. So we're almost to the point where I started my own business. I worked for Animastat, which was fume hood controls for about a year. Their competitor, Kruger, which was based in Tucson, offered me a national sales manager job. So I started doing, I was managing reps and selling fume hood controls and laboratories. And this was in the um, about 87, 88. And I was working for a guy who had worked for Animastat for the co previous company, and he'd left there and gone to Kruger. Well, he met his wife. He, she was the secretary. So guess what? She wasn't too crazy about a guy having a female work for him. She was afraid maybe the same thing would happen to me that happened to her. You know, she took him away from the, uh, the previous wife. So 
I was going to move to Tucson. I actually agreed because I'd gone to college there. So I was going to move back there. But then next thing I know, he's like, well, we've decided you can stay in San Diego. Well, that was because the wife didn't want me in Tucson. Well, and then it really boiled down to every time we'd have a group meeting, you know, she didn't want us together. So there was always this underlying, the wife was kind of pulling the strings and controlling things. So uh, lo and behold, that I was doing the job of the national sales manager and the reps were air distribution reps. They sold grills and grates and they count, they were bean counters. They counted how many openings in the ceiling do we need? They didn't know the engineering side. They didn't know the startup side. They didn't know the electrical control side. So I would sell the job and then call me to come and manage the project. So I was doing the job of the sales manager and the rep. And I thought, well, wait a minute. If you're going to do two jobs, you ought to do the one that pays the most. Yes. So I the business plan to rep this company um, for California because I had laid out like a couple million dollars worth of work as the national sales manager and the rep wasn't participating and doing anything once I sold the jobs. So I put the business plan together to, for me to become a rep and to rep their product. So I'll, I'll take a breath and see if you have any questions with all that. Well, no, but it, but it just reminded me of a story. When you said the, the wife who was concerned about you working with her husband, in one of my very first jobs, I didn't realize it, but um, my boss who would travel, I mean, I was in a sales territory in Iowa, and he would travel with everybody else in the region, but he didn't travel with me. And I was so naive, it didn't even occur to me that there was a problem with his wife having him travel with me. So I finally called the regional office in St. Louis and said, I, I don't know if there's something wrong with me. <laughs> but, Did anybody ever admit what was going on? Well, yes, actually. Um, but it was kind of the beginning of a really great mentoring relationship with the marketing manager in St. Louis. Uh, and in fact, he and I are still in touch today. But he came out and traveled with me and I just need somebody to say, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Um, you know, I need, I need somebody to watch me work. But, but we've, we've been through those similar, similar situations. Well, it gets better. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall. I put the business plan together. Everybody agreed to it. But the president of Kruger at the time was a five foot five little short man, complex accountant, bean counter nerd, who when he saw my business plan and how much money I was going to make, he thought to himself, well, she's going to make more than I am. So before I knew it, he squashed like two weeks before I was going to stop working for them and start being the rep. He squashed it and said, nope, she can't be the rep. Well, I had already had laid, put all the balls in, you know, in motion to start my own business. So I had to go back to the company I rep before Animastat back in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Well, I'd already laid out all the equipment around Kruger, but all of a sudden John Hanby decided I couldn't rep because he, 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 first of all, he was a little nitpicker. Every time I'd send in a, I took a client out to lunch or dinner, he would scrutinize it. And then he said, nope, she's not happening. It's not happening. 
So I started my own business with Animastat, and it was rough because I'd laid everything out around Kruger. Nine months later, Hanby gets fired, and lo and behold, guess what? They come back and they beg me to take the line as a new rep. I'm only, I'm getting married, and two weeks before I'm getting married, they want me to take the line. Hanby's been fired from Kruger, and I ended up repping them and selling millions, even though, like, I'd only been in business nine months. I got two or three other product lines at the time, um, and I sold a few projects in the pharmaceutical industry, you know, it was a little slow going, but, um, by, and my ex-husband worked at the time. And so he was helping support me. And, but by the time I'd been in business two years, I was, uh, profitable even, uh, with this, this, the, the kind of the slow start that I had the first nine months, I didn't rep the product line that I'd laid all the equipment around. So I had to do some quick thinking and, uh, strategizing and, Obviously, to go to a company that you left to go to their competitor and then and then to go back, I mean, to jump twice and to get back again, it was, it was challenging, but uh, I've had that happen on a number of product lines where I repped a competitor, something happened, they changed management, so I went to their, you know, their biggest competitor, then they went out of business or they filed bankruptcy, so I went back to brand A. Now I'm back with brand B. So I've like done flip-flops two or three times. I've been successful with all of them. So a lot of times it is the people and the relationships that you have and being able to uh, and the perseverance. be an engineer. Yes. Yes. So you have a daughter who is about to graduate as an engineer. I do. <laughs> and that's not the best. I had a, possible project and job for her in Italy working with one of the compressor manufacturers and then look what happened well first she decided she doesn't know if she wants to go into engineering she's gotten her engineering degree but she might want a waitress and she's got to figure it out but I'm kind of glad she didn't get the job in Italy and have to go back there with all the COVID going on there so that kind of worked out I'm just happy she's going to get her degree and I hope she'll figure it out Sometimes and she will. I mean, look at look at your history. Who didn't who didn't just jump in? Yes. After the ship experience, sometimes right. going away and doing other things, and then and then realizing that those people that have been at that company for how many years are still only making that much money. Exactly. So it took me two years of kind of working. She'll already have her degree when she figures that out. She's talked about doing something in the ecological you know, working uh, in the marine industry or doing something to save the planet or save the oceans. So when she decides that she wants to use that engineering degree, I'll try to uh, steer her. But right now, I'm mom's not uh, pushing anything as much as mom would like to be pushing. <laughs> so what advice would you give? Because I know you've been active in ISPE for many years. So what advice would you maybe give um, other young women who you've met and are up and coming? Um, well, one of the things that you mentioned is finding a mentor, finding someone to groom you, to kind of show you the ropes. That's probably one of the best suggestions you can have and and find that type of person that uh, is willing to uh, help you get a good start. Um since I'm self-employed and don't have any employees, I don't get to mentor too many people. 
that's one of the beauties of the ISPE. I'm, I'm in the BPE as well, um, which is the uh, Biopharma uh, Equipment Division of ASME, American Society of Mechanical Engineers. Very few women in that and took a little kicking and screaming to get me in there. Um, but because uh, it's an old boys school. So mechanical engineering is still a strong old boys school network. And uh, you can't take it personally if someone, you know, if, if they don't treat you with respect. I mean, I found that a lot of Japanese engineers when I first started didn't think women should be in the industry or women should be engineers. Um, there's certain Indians, on the other hand, have always embraced and seem to welcome and think that engineering women are fantastic. So certain you know, nationalities and cultures really embrace women in, in the field. And I guess it's, it's just a broad generalization. Maybe there's a few uh, Asian uh, engineers that uh, think women are good in the business. But my personal experience when I first started 30 years ago was that uh, there was a lot of old school uh, guys that really didn't comprehend how women could be in engineers. I've, I've said this before, but I, and I think I mentioned it to you the other day that the most condescending thing I was ever asked was by a customer who asked me if I felt bad about taking a man's job. Yes. And <laughs> I couldn't answer, but I finally did by saying, I thought my dad who raised four girls and educated all of us with a college degree, I thought he probably wanted to see an ROI on that investment. Yes, absolutely. So tell me what you do for fun. I love to travel and I have been scuba diving in many countries and I like to horseback ride and I like to bike ride when I'm in a new city. So I just uh, really enjoy going and traveling and playing tennis and staying active. I'm pretty active. So yes, being locked up in COVID, I played tennis for the first time yesterday in six weeks. So in all of your travels, because I know you've been all over the world, have you run across something culturally that you just found fascinating, whether it had to do with engineering and women or just just an interesting travel experience? I would say Fiji was one of the most exciting, entertaining, um, truly cultural. We um, Jeff and I went to Fiji in 2015 and we went into some of the villages and they did songs and dances for us personally, you know, just a very small group of four or five people. And it's probably like Hawaii was a hundred years ago, still very cultural. And you can really see the, how the people work and go into their villages and they're not, it's not modernized at all, but they're the the happiness and the joy that those people have is is very um, rewarding to see. So we had an interesting experience going to the Masters a year ago that has turned out to be uh, a gentleman that we met just simply at the event that has. Um, turned out to be a great uh, business contact. We've already gotten some business with him. I can only imagine as good as you are at networking, 
that your travels have probably resulted in some business somewhere that just was unexpected. I met have met people at the pool in Puerto Rico at BPE meetings that work for Merck. Actually, I don't think I ever really got any business out of it, but got contacts who, and then they introduced you to somebody else. So, um, but I don't know that I've actually just randomly ever met somebody that I got, got an order out of. Well, I've admired you over the years at your ability to network. And I would say if anybody is looking for a mentor for teaching networking, Kim Duncan would be a, one I'd nominate. Well, thank you. I will end by saying I've, I'm involved with your product line with isolators and process equipment for pharmaceutical, but one of my passions lately is I'm, I'm working nationwide as a um, natural refrigerant specialist helping different uh, pharmaceutical companies, Roche being the biggest one. They were the ones that kind of kicked the ball off. And now that nobody's driving and all the plants are shut down, our uh, environment is uh, getting much better. But as soon as, if we ever get back to normal, part of what I've been doing is educating uh, pharmaceutical clients to reduce their global warming potential and ozone depletion potential. And so that's one of my passions and one of the things that um, I'm involved with that I, I really like. Great. Well, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. We hope to share this across LinkedIn with the ISPE Women in Pharma and, and other places. So Kim Duncan, thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. The Art of Engineering. Engineers talking about their process, principles, and personal stories on the next episode. You know, they're like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be a legal secretary. My father's like, no way. You can be the lawyer. He goes, you shoot for the stars. And if you fall to the clouds, fine, but do not shoot for the ground. That's next time on The Art of Engineering, presented by Custom Powder Systems, the containment company, custom-powder.com.